If you would, turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Starting a new study tonight. Going to introduce it a little bit. Colossians chapter 1. And tonight we'll be reading the first 13 verses. Colossians chapter 1. Verses 1 through 13. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in the Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the Word of God. You know, I've never met a Christian ever that did not earnestly want to grow in grace, to grow in spiritual maturity, to, to learn to walk according to His ways as we sang a moment ago. To live a life rich and full and brimming with fruit. And I think the more earnestly we desire that, that discipleship, that following Jesus, the more the book of Colossians is for us. Because I think those of us who long for it the most are the most susceptible to those who would give us wrong answers on how to grow in grace. Our family homeschooled our kids all the way through. I think, golly, I think my wife has homeschooled more than half of her life. And uh, she wasn't homeschooled, right? So is on the teacher end of that. Uh, but there was a short time that we were involved with an organization with a curriculum that really promised great things. And as all parents, we longed for our kids to know Jesus. 
and to walk with him and avoid all the troubles of not walking with him. And, and we just long for them to, to be Christians and, and to follow Jesus. Well, this organization promised to provide um, faith-filled followers of Jesus. And so after a little while, we saw that it wasn't all that we thought it was going to be. It was, it was more of a facade of pharisaical legalism honestly, and uh, an organization that seemed to be and was full of Scripture, yet misused that Scripture and uh, was, we used to joke, a principle in search of a text. But it's not about the organization, not the reason why I bring it up, but my point is we were susceptible to getting involved with that because we so earnestly desired for our children to be Christ followers. That's what made us susceptible. The Colossians were facing similar dilemmas in the era of the New Testament. It was before the, the New Testament had been written. They didn't have everything that we had to know how to grow in grace. They knew little about how to practice this gospel life. Like our situation, the struggle generally wasn't with blatant error. But most often it was about the truth that was skewed just about one click. Just a little bit wrong. A little bit off. This evening, I want to introduce this book of Colossians to you, give you an overview about why it was written, and then show you how Paul will counsel the church. And we can see him counseling this way all the way through. So I want to use just three words to uh, frame our thoughts the church, the controversy, and then the council. The church, the controversy, and the council. So, first of all, the church. The church of Colossae had very humble beginnings. It all started when this man named Epaphras somehow, for some reason, was in the city of Ephesus. And it was about 100 miles away from home. We don't know why he was there, but he was there. And he heard this message about a Jewish Messiah that gave forgiveness of sins and gave grace to those who would come to Him. The Lord got a hold of His heart. And He listened to this message of Paul having been preached in Ephesus, and they become fast friends. Well, as will happen, when you hear good news, you want to share it. And He thought about His friends and His family back home. He was from this area, this region known as the Lycus Valley. He would soon become the shepherd of Lycus Valley. So he went home, sharing the good news along the way. There were three cities in this valley area. There were two large ones and one small one. There was uh, Laodicea, if you recognize that from the book of Revelation. There was Hierapolis, 
two big thriving cities. But then there was a little village that he was from called Colossae. Well, the gospel caught hold in those towns. The good news was truly good news to them. People believed in the gospel and wanted to follow Jesus and wanted to implement everything about this new faith. But they didn't know too much. And very soon, all was not well because, you see, they came from very diverse backgrounds. There were different views about how to practice the faith. There were Jewish believers there, and there were also what are known as Hellenistic believers, Greek philosopher believers, okay? The Jews came from Judaism, but the Hellenists came from the Greek religions, the Greek philosophies. They didn't know really how to practice this newfound faith of theirs. Well, as is often is the case, if there's doubt, somebody is going to step right in and tell you what to do. And not all of that was good advice. Not all of them were good teachers. And so here was Epaphras. He was new to the faith as well. He didn't have what we have to know what to do. And so he thought, what do I need to do? How can I help my struggling little church? Well, he says, I know who can help me. I know who the church will know and see as an authority. The Apostle Paul can help me. The problem was, Paul was in jail in Rome a thousand miles away. But it wasn't enough to deter Epaphras for he went to see the Apostle Paul and told him about the problems. The letter to the church at Colossae from the Apostle Paul is the letter that he wrote in light of what we've been talking about. It was delivered by Tychicus. Epaphras, when he came home, he brought another little letter that we know as Philemon to a man in his church who had a slave that had run away and, and Paul wanted to, to accept him back. So what we have, the book of Colossians, is Paul's letter back to Colossae about the problems that they were facing. Well, what were those problems? What was the controversy that they were facing? There were teachers teaching basically two different lines of thought. It seems that they were very, very convincing. There was the Jewish element and then the Greek philosophy element, the Hellenists. First, the Jewish element. Well, the Jews thought if you're really going to be a good Christian, you better be a Jew. You needed to go back to Judaism. Jesus was a Jew. He was the Jewish Messiah. So if you really were going to be spiritual, you needed to go back to the Jewish law. They were the Judaizers. You need to combat your self-indulgent nature with rules. The emphasis is on discipline. The emphasis is as well as on ceremonies. You need to have various ceremonies in your life. We find him addressing these Judaizers in the second half of chapter 2. The legalism, the ritualism, the observance of holy days all point to the Jewish mindset. It's something that Paul fought long and hard all throughout his life. 
and we see the results of that in all his epistles about men and women not having to be Jews to be Christian. But then there was the philosophical Greek element. Paul called it hollow and deceptive philosophy in verse 8 of chapter 2. It was probably early Gnosticism. Have you heard that word? G-N-O-S-T? Gnosticism? Gnosticism has its roots in early Oriental myths and Greek philosophy. They considered themselves the spiritual elite, the philosophers, the, the, the ones full of knowledge, the known one, knowed ones. It seems that the primary concern of the Gnosticists were the origin of the universe and the existence and origins of evil. How did these come to be? See, if the central truth of Gnosticism was that matter, things that you touch and feel, matter was evil. And if matter was evil, then there was a, some pretty large problems that you had to, to take care of and rationalize out in terms of Christianity. How did a good God create a world that has evil? How did that happen? So to reconcile the, the goodness of God and the existence of evil, they formed a, a view of the creation of the universe. And they reasoned that God created many, many what they called emanations or little gods. And as he continued to create these little gods, the further and further away that they got from him, over time they got so far away from him as to become the antithetical god. And when they... Uh, and it was these antithetical, evil in nature, little gods that created the universe. The Gnostics felt then that these little gods needed to be appeased. And Paul seems to allude to these in uh, both chapters 1 and 2. 1, 16, 2, 9, and 2, 15. Now, as Gnosticism spread, and encountered various religions, they integrated their beliefs in these various religions. And in Colossae, they tried to integrate uh, Gnosticism and Christianity. We find what happened there is then that its influence in error concerning the deity and the humanity of Jesus. We know that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. We know that is true. But that presents problems for the Gnosticist. Uh, the Gnostics considered considering that all uh, matter is evil, they had a problem. 
So some Gnostics denied the deity of Jesus. They said he wasn't deity at all. They're called docetic Gnostics. They said he only had a phantom body. His body wasn't real because if it was real, right, it would be evil. They said what we would think of as a hologram. He said he it appeared like he was there, but he wasn't really there. First and second John, if you want to read about it, that those are the things that he is dealing with, right? It only seemed that Jesus had a body. So that's how they skirted the issue about matter being evil and Jesus. Then there were other Gnostics that denied the deity of Christ. Some denied the humanity. Others denied the deity. This uh, branch was Serinthianism. The guy that proposed it was Serinthius. Okay? But he saw Jesus and Christ as separate entities. They were two different beings. He said that Jesus was a human, just like the rest of us. And then when he was baptized, this little God, this emanation, came upon him, the Spirit as a dove. And so at that point then, he was Jesus the human and this emanation, this God. He was that way until the cross. And then the emanation left Jesus when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have has thou forsaken me? They said, no, no, no. What he's really saying is my power, my power. Why has thou forsaken me? So that this little emanation, this God had left him so that he, he died there on the cross. Those are the Serinthian Gnostics. The Gnosticism in Colossae seems to take two forms. As you read through the, the, the book, it, one form took the asceticism, the, that only, only truly spiritual life was harsh and, and uh, harsh self-denial. It's denying yourself of, of all good things. The libertines then would say that, well, since matter is evil and the body is evil, the only really good thing is your soul. So it really doesn't matter what your body does as long as your soul is Jesus's. And so they lived however they wanted to live. So you had these two extremes existing in this same church. So now the council. What did Paul say? Well, in my words, he would have said, boy, you guys are messed up, right? But look how many different things were coming at this little early church of Colossae. You got the Judaizers. You got the Gnostics. You got the ascetics and the, and the uh, Libertines. All going on trying to figure out how to follow Jesus. So what would Paul say? How would Paul address these so polarized positions? As we sang a moment earlier, he said, look to Jesus. Just look. To Jesus. The theme of uh, the book of Colossians is the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus. The supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus. There is no book in the New Testament that declares a more comprehensive picture of the beauty of Jesus than this one that we are about to study. Someone once said that Colossians is the full-length portrait of Jesus. Now Paul says, 
And these are Steve's words, right? Paul says, I don't care if you're a Jewish legalist or a Greek Hellenist, an intellectual religious person. The one thing that you need to know to grow to full maturity is you have to understand the centrality of Jesus Himself. You must understand Him. He will spend this whole epistle expounding and explaining what it means to keep Christ central to the practice of your faith. It's not secret knowledge. It's not asceticism. It's not ceremony or experience that ultimately will cause you to bear fruit the fruit of the Spirit, and to follow Him faithfully. It's understanding the truth about Jesus and looking to Him alone. My friends, again, every true believer longs to grow in the faith, to bear the fruit of the Spirit, to have a sweet relationship with Jesus, to abandon their sins that so closely cling to us. And the more we desire to grow, the more tempting are the ideas of those who would add to the gospel of Jesus. There's a lot of voices out there, guys, that would tell you how to do it that have nothing to do with the gospel. Christianity is all about Jesus. The path to spiritual maturity is to keep Him central, supreme, and to acknowledge Him as sufficient. He is all we need. So easy to get wrapped up in the trappings of Christianity that we lose sight of what is central. The thing that is dominating and towering and primary Jesus, Christ, our Savior. I don't know, y'all ever watched the old Peanuts cartoons? I love Charlie Brown. Maybe I identify too much with Charlie Brown. I don't know. But one of those clips, it has him in, in his schoolroom. And the teacher calls on him to come work a simple math problem at the chalkboard. And he thought, oh boy, this is, this is it. This is, this is my opportunity to impress that little red-headed girl. And so he goes up to the board to uh, solve this little problem. And he gets to working. And he's working and he's working. And he puts it in different equations and formulas. And before long, the whole chalkboard is full of numbers and equations and signs. And, and the teacher lets him go for a little while. And she says... Charlie, um, what are you doing? And he looks at her and, and he looks at the chalkboard and he says, I have no idea. See, he got lost in working the problem. And he overcomplicated it all just so that he impressed that little redheaded girl. But my friends, in, in much the same way, I think we often can get caught up in the trappings of Christianity, hoping to impress others or even to impress Jesus with our holiness and our, all the trappings that go on with it. We are tempted to make so many other things the main theme. 
we are tempted to go down the path of rule keeping. You know, if I wear the right clothes, if I do the right things, if I keep all the right rules, then I'm going to please God and I'll be a good Christian. Or we go down the path of more knowledge and theology. Well, if I can just know more and if I can get all my theological ducks in a row, then I'll please Him. Then I'll know and be a good Christian. Some of us go down the path of ceremony. Boy, if I can just worship in just the right way and with just the right music, if I can say the right things and get it just right, get that liturgy just right, then, oh, then... I'll be pleasing to Jesus. Others, it's a path of a mystic experience. I, I, I need these, these spiritual experiences. And if I have those experiences, then I'll be a mature believer. But you see, the problem with all of those, I mean, they they're all have some truth to them, right? They're not all blatant error. All of those are important to us. But the problem with all of them is that the focus is on me, not on Jesus. If I do this, if I keep the rules, if I have this experience, if I do this, if I do that, it's all about Jesus. The answer is to look away from ourselves and look to our Savior. The key to growing in grace is just to keep your eye on the prize. That's all. The means by which we grow in grace is to see to reflect and embrace the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus. This is the message of the book of Colossians. Let's pray.